First in the morning, SAFM Sunrise with Stephen Grutis. Well, one of the, the, the things developing uh, deep at sea in the Atlantic at the moment is the story around this submersible that went missing while trying to go down to the wreckage of the Titanic, going down nearly four kilometers under the water. Can you imagine anything more scary? Can you imagine the pressure? It really is frightening that it's a submersible, four pe- five people in it. Yesterday, banging noises were heard while bar people were searching for it. Since then, it seems nothing. Mark DeFoss is a PhD student. He's an oceanographer, also a volunteer with the National Sea Rescue Institute. He's at, based at Station 3 Table Bay in Cape Town. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Stephen. We all know that the deeper underwater you go, the more pressure. I can't imagine what it's like at that depth. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, basic point is that at that uh, depth, any uh, leak or any structural failure, the pressure cannot be overcome. So it will be catastrophic. Uh, there's nothing you can do against the pressure at that depth. I know what a submarine is. So you have, I mean, we have a couple in our Navy. I think we have three or four submarines. A submersible, is it just a small submarine or is it something different? Uh, similar, but there is a key distinction. Um, a submersible is unable to operate completely independently of a so-called mothership. Uh, it would depend on the mothership to be launched. It would depend on the mothership for communication and so on. Whereas a submarine, you know, can sail from a port and operate for sometimes uh, a couple of months or up to years completely independently. Um, when you try and look for something that's missing, I mean, it's not a big craft, right? The Atlantic is a massive place. You've got to look three-dimensionally. So if, if, for example, we're looking for a human being who's gone missing while on a hiking trail in the Drakensberg, you can kind of fly a helicopter over the Drakensberg and you're looking not really three-dimensionally. You're looking in two dimensions most of the time. For something like this, the amount of uh, ground that you have to cover is just immense. Yeah, that's spot on, actually. Um, in fact, in the scientific world, we talk about four dimensions, which sounds uh, like something out of a sci-fi. But basically, the surface, uh, forward, back, left, right, uh, depth, so that gives you three dimensions, and time is kind of a fourth dimension. And the target that you're looking for is moving in all four of these dimensions constantly. Um, so it's certainly a lot more of a dynamic environment than terrestrial-based uh, search and rescue context. Okay, so what you're saying is you've got to be in the right place at the right time. That's what makes it so difficult. Um, the Trying to work at sea to find something like this. So you've got to have ships, you've got to have air support. But it's really difficult. Again, you can't just come down to earth and take a break. You've actually got to be in a ship. Yes, absolutely. And um, what, you know, what I, I think probably most people are unaware of is just how complex and how difficult it is to mobilize large assets like that. So it's very far offshore. Ships are not as fast as aircraft. It takes a long time for them to get there. It takes a long time to prep them to leave the port. And, you know, they, they require crews of tens or hundreds of people. So it, it's really a, a logistical nightmare. And, I, and I've got to say, in everything that I've seen, um, the scale of this effort has been truly phenomenal. And communicating <laughs> underwater, that's difficult too. You can't just pick up a cell phone. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Underwater communication is still very much a, a technological challenge. Um, things like underwater Wi-Fi and so on are still very much in their infancy. I mean, restricted to sort of uh, swimming pool tests and so on. Um, so submarines and submersibles would use pretty rudimentary acoustic methods 
where you ping very, very basic messages that can contain very little data to a transceiver on the surface, which would in turn communicate with a ship or something like that. So it's quite rudimentary still. When you're that far down, like 3,800 meters, I think it is, how long does it take to come up again? You can't just rush up quickly, even if you find the people. Yes, that's correct. Um, I mean, firstly, it's, it's quite far down. It's three and a half kilometers or four kilometers down, and the craft is not very fast. And so, so there's that aspect. But also, of course, you don't want to ascend or descend rapidly because of the pressure changes. So you essentially want to do it very gradually so that the craft and all the systems can adjust and so that the operators can monitor um, at, a, at a sort of leisurely pace that everything is under control. Um, I mean, obviously, the longer this goes on, uh, the harder it is. But the fact that it's so dark down there, if this thing, if the submersible has got any kind of light at all, does that help? You're able to see it? Uh, you know, when you're dealing with the kind of um, space that you're trying to search over, I don't think that anybody would be relying on a light. Although, of course, if they did happen to have a video camera that happened upon a light, uh, it, it, it might help. I think largely what they'll be looking for is you know, sound and then also things like um, side scan sonar um, and sort of other uh, sensing techniques to detect this submersible. Thank you very much indeed. Mark DeFoss is an oceanographer and an NSRI volunteer at the Station 3 in Table Bay in Cape Town. Quite a story playing out in the Atlantic. And I mean, just sort of quite scary to even think about being on that craft, isn't it? 22 minutes after 8.